Welcome to Convo this beautiful Monday morning. It's a crazy time of semester, I know with all that you have to do, but I hope that you've had time to like look up and look around and see the amazing trees and the beauty of nature. This is one of those times when you can like say, wow, I'm glad I live in Indiana. So hope you can see the beauty. I'm Char Hostetler and I work as the campus counselor. Last spring, I worked with the Campus Health and Wholeness Committee to work on an educational plan to address issues that are pertinent to your lives as students. An issue that seems to impact all areas of your life is the issue of sleep, or lack thereof. We have invited Richard Osborne to come and speak to us today on that issue. He is from the Goshen General Hospital Center for Sleep. He is a registered respiratory therapist and a registered polysonographic technologist, which is really impressive because I'm not sure what that means, but I think he'll tell us maybe more about that. Um, he is also the supervisor of the Center for Sleep. He has been in healthcare since 1980 and um, came to the Sleep Center two years ago. And I've had the privilege of interacting with him for the last month as we've. Um, come to put this chapel together, or the convo together, and I'm delighted to have him come. So let's welcome Richard and give him our attention. Good morning. It is morning still, so. Now before I put you to sleep, I'd like to ask you a few questions about how you're feeling right now. Of these different uh, pictures up here, which one would you say best depicts you now? Going from wide awake to less so to so-so and getting a little heavy and scratchy eyes to you're trying to stay awake. So th think about which one of those best depicts you today. Okay. Now, by a show of hands, how many of you picked Wide Awake? Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. And for those of you who picked Wide Awake, how many of you had nine or more hours of sleep? Eight to nine hours of sleep. Uh, seven to eight? Uh, six to seven, less than six. How many aren't sure? <laughs> Even less than uh, five? Okay. Well, how many of you uh, picked one or two? Okay. Well, well, we'll we'll do this again. How many of you had more than nine hours of sleep? Okay. <laughs> Usually the exception is, is few. Uh, eight, uh, eight to nine hours. Okay. And on down the line, seven to eight. Okay. And six to seven. And less than six. A few of you. All right. Now we're getting to the heavy-eyed section. How many of you picked three or four? Okay. And I, I doubt that any of you had more than seven hours sleep. Anybody with more than seven? Okay, more than eight hours sleep? Okay, six to seven? Okay, 
Less than six? All right. Well, let's take a quick uh, quiz, and you have this in your handout. And I told Shar that uh, uh, if any of you have questions about some of the specific slides, uh, we have a copy that shows all the slides that uh, would, you'd be having access to later. But I wanted to just give you a few items to uh, work with this morning. Uh, so on this quick true or false quiz, everyone has a biological clock. True or false? True? Okay. Drinking coffee cures drowsiness. Okay. <laughs> Does it matter on how much coffee? <laughs> uh, nearly, uh, or safe drivers don't have to worry about being sleepy. How many of you drive more than 10 miles to school? Okay. Okay, nearly everyone gets enough sleep? <laughs> okay, being sleepy makes it hard to think straight? Okay, driving makes you sleepy? Sleep is time for the body and brain to shut down for rest. False? Okay. Uh, the body quickly adjusts to different sleep schedules? Okay. Uh, getting one hour less sleep per night than I usually do won't have a tremendous effect on, uh, on my performance. False? Oh. Okay, we're going to come back to this later. Okay. Some things that I really would like for you to take away from this today is that your quality of life and your longevity does depend on the amount and quality of sleep that you get and, unfortunately, that of others. And by quality of life, I'm, I'm thinking of things like performance at work, school, activities that require physical and mental agility or skill, whether it's athletic, musical, other endeavors. A uh, stable and resilient physical and mental health depends on uh, good sleep and adequate sleep. And uh, being safe from dangerous errors in judgment uh, or circumstances whether they're of your own making or others. I'd like for you to leave with the idea that you need to maintain consistent hours for sleep that allow for adequate sleep. And to manage your sleep environment makes a difference. To actively identify and manage the other behaviors and circumstances that uh, affect your ability to sleep or diminish the quality of sleep. Also, like for you to leave here, uh, being able to uh, recognize when you're sleep deprived, and with the uh, the urge to act, which basically is to sleep. And like for you to think about planning your day and your week, your activities, whether it be study, work, or play, uh, and make room for sleep. Well, sleep. I want to talk about what it is and what it isn't and we'll start with some misconceptions. Um, earlier, the item on the quiz was sleep is time for the body in general and the brain specifically to shut down for rest. Not the case. And uh, someone was pretty vocal about that over here. Uh, getting just one hour less sleep per night needed will not have any effect on daytime functioning. Uh, that's a misconception, as is the idea that we can adjust quickly to a changing sleep schedule. Um, 
Sometimes people think that we need less sleep as we grow older. And that's not the case. Now, sleep does change in its nature and its characteristics as we age, but we don't necessarily need less sleep. And a good night's sleep can cure problems with excessive daytime sleepiness. Not necessarily. If you have an underlying sleep disorder, getting longer sleep isn't necessarily going to solve your problems. Well, what is sleep and what really goes on while we sleep? It is a, a, a periodic and natural state of rest during which we're basically unaware of our environment to varying degrees. Uh, most external stimuli are attenuated, diminished, or they're blocked. Uh, this state, though, is, is one that's easily re reversed as opposed to, say, someone who's in a coma or under anesthesia. We're generally physically inactive, and uh, that's by outward appearance. You may see someone having some slight occasional movement during sleep, but that also depends on how deeply asleep they are. And we're going to talk more specifically about the inability to move during certain portions of sleep. Generally, we assume a relaxed position that is in large part dependent on gravity and some other form of support, whether it's leaning on our elbow or laying back in a recliner, laying in bed. But one thing to keep in mind through all of this is our brain remains active, very active at times during sleep. We sleep in cycles, and a sleep cycle is typically about an hour and a half to just less than two hours. And we shuttle back and forth through the night about four or five times in that cycle. And each cycle, we experience a couple types of sleep. We have REM sleep, which is characterized by rapid eye movements. If you've seen someone sleeping and their eyes are kind of flittering back and forth under their lids, they may very well be in REM sleep. If there's a lot of body movement, they're not, and I'll talk more about that later. And then there's non-REM sleep, which is all other types of sleep. REM sleep itself is a stage of sleep. Uh, we have a number of stages. Non-REM sleep consists of all the other stages. And we'll talk about a little detail here. Stage one sleep, it's very light sleep. You're just beginning to doze off, kind of twilight sleep. And this is kind of the area where someone goes to change the television station and you say, hey, I was watching that. And if they question you, oh, well, what was just happening? Well, you know, I was watching it, it doesn't matter. But the fact is, you probably weren't. You were in that twilight area. Uh, stage two sleep, it's more easily recognized on EEG as uh, true sleep. And EEG is electroencephalogram. And during a sleep study, we do a modified EEG, and we have gold-plated cups or electrodes that are glued on various aspects of the scalp uh, near key function areas of the brain. There are a lot of other sensors that are applied as well. But on EEG, it looks more like sleep. Uh, stage three and four, you're going into deeper sleep. And in this case, the brain waves begin to slow down, they widen, and with deeper sleep, they actually have more amplitude. They're taller waves. And uh, in stages three and four, this is a very restful and restorative stage of sleep. You're also less 
likely to respond to the environment. Someone calling your name. Uh, the phone may ring several times before you wake up. Uh, more often than not, someone who is in the deepest stages of sleep, if they're awakened suddenly, they're going to be pretty groggy for several minutes, uh, perhaps even grouchy, irritable, uh, maybe not at all like the personality you're accustomed to. And that would be true of you as well. REM sleep, we talked about a little bit already. Uh, most dreaming occurs in REM on EEG. The brain waves actually pick up. They're very active. It looks more like uh, an awake stage. However, how we know that you're in REM, in part, besides the rapid eye movements and the brain waves, is also the lack of movement. You actually go into a state of semi-paralysis in REM sleep. Actually, if you don't, that's a sleep disorder. So. I want to talk about uh, a summary, a graph that we have as part of a sleep study. And we end up with this particular one called a hypnogram. And what we're looking at here, and until you look at these a few times, they, they seem upside down. But we're talking about being at an awake state, and then we're dropping into stage one sleep. We get to uh, stage three. We get to stage four for this period. And then we kind of come out into lighter sleep again. And then all of a sudden, we fall into REM sleep. And then we start all over. And this, these cycles here are about 90 minutes to 110 minutes long. And we may be up and down several times before we hit REM again. But as you notice, as we go through here, in only four hours of sleep, we've had two stages of REM. But the lighter sleep and the deeper sleep is uh, uh, diminishing. We're hitting REM more often. Lighter sleep is more predominant. But our REM sleep, each time we have it, is more pronounced. And here we are having three REMs, REM periods in the last half of the night. Um, so if you're not getting five hours sleep, you're getting less than half of the REM potential that you're expected to have, and, and so forth. And that's why I want you to have a copy of the hypnogram. Just as a reminder, you know, if you give yourself enough sleep, you're going to have more REM if you're a typical uh, adult. And REM sleep is the dream stage, typically. You dream in other stages, but predominantly in REM. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about REM in a bit, too. And these are typically the items that I was just talking about. Uh, during non-REM sleep versus REM sleep, brain activity decreases. But in REM, uh, that activity actually increases in certain areas of the brain, typically those of uh, motor control and, uh, and sensory control. And again, remember, our REM sleep has the very active dream state associated with it. And I also said, typically, you're semi-paralyzed in REM sleep. We don't want you acting out your dreams. People with a REM disorder where they don't have that partial paralysis will try to act out dreams. They will believe that they're awake. And uh, sometimes it can be very violent. Other times it can just be very tragic. Uh, my freshman year in college, I had a roommate who had sleep disorders, which I didn't really know much about at the time. What I did know was that I had him as a transfer uh, student because uh, 
a ninth, a ninth floor dorm was not a good place for him. He was found and caught just before he stepped out a window, thinking he was going up a flight of steps. So uh, it can be very dangerous. Uh, blood pressure, well, heart rate, uh, it, it decreases during sleep, and it may increase and vary in REM sleep. Uh, blood pressure decreases. Uh, it may increase about a third in, in REM sleep. And blood flow to the brain varies as well. Uh, and uh, it will increase to uh, about uh, half again to twice that of when you're in non-REM sleep. Again, your brain is very active. And if you've seen uh, uh, PET scans, any studies, uh, photos from those that show how the brain areas kind of light up with different forms of activity or different thought, uh, some of this has been uh, studied uh, closely in, in that uh, fashion. Uh, respiration decreases uh, compared to wakefulness. Uh, during uh, REM, your coughing typically is uh, suspended or suppressed. Uh, you may have periods of apnea, which are just short, typically short periods of, of uh, not breathing. Uh, airway resistance increases in both stages of sleep. Body temperature will begin to drop uh, during uh, non-REM sleep. Uh, as you get to lower temperatures, you'll find that your body will shift to a lower temperature than normal before you start to shiver. In REM sleep, however, uh, there's far less regulation of your temperature. And uh, sweating and uh, uh, shivering is typically blocked or suspended during REM sleep. And uh, Flow of body fluids also uh, diminishes. Um, plasma flow, interstitial fluids, the fluid in between the cells, uh, urine production, excretion of electrolytes, gasid, uh, gastric acid production, all these items will diminish. Other important things that are happening during sleep include uh, the secretion of hormones, such as human growth hormone, uh, follicle-stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone, important for maturation and uh, reproductive processes. And thyroid-stimulating stimulating hormone is not actually released during sleep, but it is released just before sleep. Uh, why do we sleep? Uh, we don't really know, but we know a lot about what happens when we sleep. Uh, our body just simply has a natural tendency to be driven towards sleep. We really can't avoid it as much as we try, and we can survive without uh, food far longer than we can without sleep. The circadian rhythms uh, also control our sleep, and these are basically our biological clocks. And there are, there are a couple of them. There are endogenous rhythms and exogenous rhythms. Uh, endogenous uh, are those natural tendencies that drive us toward slightly more than a 24-hour day, even though we're on a 24-hour clock. Um, Exogenous are those environmental cues that we take. Uh, daylight, darkness, the clocks, alarm clocks, uh, being so entrained with using uh, television radio programming to, to judge the time of day, uh, getting to work at certain times, going to classes at certain times, and so forth. Light and its effect on photoreceptors in the eyes, though, uh, seems to be the strongest cue for resetting our, uh, our internal clock to the, uh, to, to, to the day around us. 
And it's really important that you try and get some bright light or natural sunlight every day, uh, typically a half hour or better. If you're having trouble staying awake, get up, turn a light on, open the blinds, and move on. That's the best thing I can suggest. Um, on the other hand, if you've had to maybe work a night shift and uh, you're wanting to leave work and you want to get home safely, and you want to be able to go to sleep when you get there, you don't really want to be stimulated by any light more than necessary. I want to talk about sleep debt and sleep deprivation. Sleep debt is basically the amount of sleep that we have lost from that which is normal for us. So the example I give is someone who normally needs eight hours of sleep a night, and they're only able to get five hours for a few nights. You know, by the end of three nights, they have a, a nine-hour sleep debt. Now, the nice thing about sleep debt is that you don't have to sleep on a one-to-one -one basis to pay that back. Our, our sleep and our brain adapts. We have different stages of sleep that I mentioned, and if you're really missing out on sleep, uh, you'll reach a point where you may have very little light sleep. You may just fall almost right into stage three or four. And in severe cases, you may just fall into REM sleep. And then you begin to get back into different cycles. And sleep deprivation is just simply being deprived of sleep. And it, it can be only occasional or it can be chronic. What leads to sleep deprivation? Uh, basically anything that prevents you from falling asleep, staying asleep, getting back to sleep, interrupts your sleep architecture. The hypnogram that we looked at, that's sleep architecture, looking at those different cycles and types of sleep. In the absence of poor health or a sleep disorder, the major culprit in being sleep deprived is poor sleep hygiene. And sleep hygiene is just basically those behaviors that best promote sleep. The consequences, uh, your performance at work can be uh, diminished. Um, I talked earlier about uh, quality of life and uh, uh, those items that rely on being alert, uh, coordination of various skills, uh, those are going to uh, be affected. And when a subject is substantially sleep deprived in only a night or two, you can have a large impact. Uh, on the other hand, they may be missing only 45 minutes, an hour and a half a night, but on a fairly regular basis. Uh, they may sleep through the weekend. By Monday morning, they've thrown off their biological clock by not keeping regular hours, but they've gotten some sleep. Uh, and before you know it, they're back in trying to fit themselves into the week schedule, and they start shortchanging themselves on the amount of sleep. And by the end of the week, you're tired, you're exhausted, and, and sleepy again. So that's why we say make sure that you try and keep the same hours of sleep, going to bed, getting up, and that there's time for a good duration of sleep. These are just some of the things that you can expect when you're sleep deprived. Uh, irritability, lack of concentration, decreased attention span, reaction times drop, not a good, not a good situation for uh, driving or uh, working with equipment. Um, 
also diminishes your athletic prowess. Uh, varying degrees in computational skills, erratic behavior, judgment is affected, mood swings, hallucinations, and extremely rare, but occasionally, death from sleep deprivation. Physical and mental health can change. Uh, depression is often uh, seen with sleep disorders. Uh, there's some controversy over uh, what effects uh, sleep deprivation has on depression. In some cases, sleep deprivation is actually used for early stages of non-medicated non therapy for sleep depression. So, this, this spider web here basically is showing how obstructive sleep apnea is kind of in the middle of a, of a host of different uh, health issues. And obstructive sleep apnea is unfortunately very common, and it results in sleep deprivation and poor sleep. And uh, I'm going to try and hurry along here because I know we have limited time. Uh, I'm going to also at one point skip the slides on sleep disorders. Uh, if we have time or afterwards, if you want me to go back to any of those, I'd be glad to. Uh, consequences uh, continued. Um, in 1999, a study showed that uh, otherwise healthy young adults, when they were sleep deprived, build up a sleep debt, uh, their ability to metabolize and handle glucose or sugar was uh, negatively affected. Um, and in other studies, it was shown that uh, that type of sleep deprivation and the, and the result uh, caused people to have to produce up to 30% more insulin to properly manage the glucose levels. Other research shows that uh, uh, it can increase appetite and caloric input. And this little, little point here on leptin, uh, I, I need to clarify that. Leptin is a hormone that is secreted through the night while you sleep, uh, more so as you go along. And the purpose of it is to diminish your appetite, diminish your need for caloric intake. If you don't sleep long enough, you don't produce enough leptin, uh, it changes your appetite, and you find yourself taking in more calories. And also uh, the issue, again, about safety from dangerous errors of judgment, whether they're yours or those of other people. Drowsy driving, uh, I've got a number of items here, and I'll just highlight a few of them. Um, and I'm going to have to hurry. Um, more than a couple hundred thousand traffic accidents occur each year before, because of driver fatigue. Uh, over 100 million people are... Uh, in surveys are admitting to feeling sleepy, perhaps driving uh, and falling asleep. Uh, and unfortunately, only this weekend, uh, we had a situation where a security guard, University of Notre Dame, was driving home the next morning. He was a night guard. And uh, the accident fits a lot of the hallmarks of, of uh, sleepy driving. He uh, ran into the back of a Nipsco utility truck, knocked it into another utility truck uh, with enough, uh, that much force. Um, and uh, there was no evidence of him trying to stop or avoid the accident. Uh, pretty typical of, of sleep-related accidents. So basically, what I really want to hit on in the little bit of time that we have left is go back to sleep hygiene. Uh, maintain the sleep-wake pattern on a regular basis. Uh, 
going to bed, getting up at the same time alone isn't enough if there's not enough time for a good amount of sleep. How much sleep do you need? It's going to vary between individuals. It could be as little as six and a half to as much as nine and a half hours. Typically, uh, seven to nine hours, six, uh, seven to eight and a half. And the only way you're really going to know is can you maintain a schedule and during the day you don't find yourself being sleepy. You're able to stay at the zero, the one scale of those pictures that we started out with. Uh, avoid shift work if you can. Uh, a lot of people say that they can adapt to it, but in reality, uh, they, at best, they endure or cope with it, and there's a high price to pay in uh, disruption of family and social life. Uh, also increased risk on-the-job accidents, uh, driving at different times uh, out of the normal uh, day schedule. Manage your sleep environment. Take care of the light issue. Uh, light pollution can come through the, your doorway, under the door, between the drapes, over the valance of the drapes. Um, LEDs on appliances. You know, some people are very sensitive to just the LEDs on all of your electronics in the room. I've got five in my bedroom, and I've got a lot of black electrical tape that I keep putting on until it dries up and peels off and I replace it. Uh, turn off the, or block the offending light. If necessary, wear a sleep mask. Manage your sleep environment with regard to noise. Uh, control or block out the noise if you can. Turn off your TV or radio. Uh, try earplugs. You might try a white noise generator. Uh, by white noise, we just mean uh, some monotonous sound, a lot like my voice, uh, some monotonous sound that doesn't pull your attention away. Uh, specifically. Uh, you might uh, tune in the radio for static. Uh, you might use the hum of a fan. Or you might want to check out on the internet simplynoise.com. They offer three different types of white noise uh, that you can download or play. Uh, and if you go to another page of their website, uh, right now they also have a thunderstorm that you can download and uh, listen to that. Manage your physical comfort. You want to have comfortable sleepwear. You want a mattress and a pillow that provides good support and is comfortable. We don't recommend any particular type of mattress or pillow. It just needs to be comfortable and supportive for you. Uh, quality and weight of sheets uh, affect some people's sleep, and cool temperature is generally important for most people. You want to avoid caffeine from mid-afternoon on. It has a long half-life. It can still be in your body up to eight hours later. It is a stimulant, and it interferes with sleep onset. Also changes your sleep architecture. You want to control what you consume with regard to alcohol. It inhibits REM sleep, disrupts sleep later in the night. Um, you control uh, your intake of nicotine. Besides all the other risks of smoking, nicotine plays havoc with your sleep. Uh, don't overeat or eat too close to bedtime. Be aware of foods that you're sensitive to. Uh, if you want a bedtime snack to quiet your stomach, uh, milk or another dairy product and a slice of cheese, uh, carbohydrates, crackers, uh, toast, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm kind of addicted to Cheerios. Control what you consume with regard to medications. There are a lot of medications that have effect on your sleep, and you may not know it without consulting your physician, pharmacist, or a physician's desk reference. And a lot of over-the-counter medications, and particularly pain medications, 
uh, may have caffeine, and you need to be aware of that. Exercise, exercise during the day promotes healthy sleep. Uh, the studies are in disagreement as to how close to bedtime you can or shouldn't uh, exercise. Generally speaking, probably six hours before bedtime is the cutoff for really strenuous activity. Manage your stress. Exercise helps. Uh, hobbies and other distractions can help. But admit it, you know, some forms of stress can only be dealt with by dealing with the problem. But on the other hand, you might be able to set those stressful issues aside. Uh, get into the habit of creating a worry time. Make a list of your issues. Maybe use uh, index cards. But then sort them out. Consider the actions that you can take. And then lay them aside. You've dealt with it some for tonight. It's time to sleep. That works for some people. Avoid napping if you can. But if you need to nap, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with a good power nap, but generally about 20 or 30 minutes, an hour at tops if you're extremely sleepy. And again, try not to be sleeping past 2 or 3 in the afternoon. And what happens when you've been doing this and you're having trouble falling asleep? Well, worrying about not falling asleep isn't going to help you fall asleep. So get out of bed, do something that's not particularly energetic, doesn't provoke a lot of thought, don't turn on the TV or the computer or any games, though. Uh, maybe some quiet, relaxing music, a little light reading. Now, you're doing all this, and you're still having trouble with sleep. And what you can do is reassess your sleep hygiene, your environment, consider what changes may have occurred to your daily routine and how those might be affecting you. Uh, you might want to keep a sleep diary. And uh, you might ask uh, friends to give you comments, what they observe about you surrounding your sleep or actually during your sleep. Uh, do you have fitful sleep? Or do you toss and turn? Do you snore heavily? Uh, do you gasp or choke? And I've got a whole series of slides about sleep disorders, but <clears throat> basically there are more than 70 sleep disorders. And uh, uh, if we have time or anyone wants to stay, we can talk about some of that. But basically, the point I wanted to make today was the importance of sleep on, their, on our life, its quality, its longevity, our performance at work, play, and school, uh, our health, being safe from poor judgments. Uh, you have the option of taking control of a lot of things that affect your sleep. You need to uh, address those. You need to recognize when you're sleep deprived and take action. You know, grab your blankie, take a nap. And uh, uh, to help with stress and to help with sleep, you know, plan your day, plan your activities, and plan for sleep. And in particular here, with exams in mind, you know, it's a lot less stressful and it's far more effective to study as you go. An all-nighter and cramming typically doesn't help. You may be able to recall some facts from short-term memory on that test, but it's probably going to fade and not be available to you later when that has to be used on a comprehensive exam. And the quick false quiz, yes, everyone has a biological clock. Drinking coffee does not cure drowsiness. Safe drivers should worry about uh, driving, sleeping. Hardly anyone gets enough sleep these days. Uh, being sleepy does make it hard to think straight. 
Most teenagers and some young adults do need at least nine hours of sleep. And driving does not make you sleepy, but it, along with other uh, monotonous, low physical activities, will bring attention to your low threshold for sleep if you're uh, sleep deprived. Uh, sleep is not the time where the brain shuts down for rest. It's very active. And what I didn't mention earlier is part of what happens during sleep and REM sleep is the reorganizing of thoughts, the cataloging of the activities of the day, sorting out emotions, uh, integrating new information, basically learning. And if you've seen any studies recently, you, you may have seen some that talk about uh, musicians who will practice into the evening, not right up to bedtime, but somewhat into the evening, or people playing video games or trying to master some other skill. Um, and they put that aside, they relax, they go to sleep, they may even dream about this, and they may wake up the next day, they go back to that activity, and they may actually be able to find measurable improvement. Uh, the body does not adjust quickly to changing sleep schedules and getting just one hour less. For some people, routinely getting 20 minutes less than your body needs can put you into sleep debt and a miserable existence by the end of the week. And uh, on your handout, I've got far more web links listed than what I had on this slide. So I'm sorry for keeping you over, but uh, thank you for your attention. Good sleep, and uh, good luck with exams. <laughs>